Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doug Peak. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Welcome. This is Foothills. I am Dr. Douglas Peak, and I will be your guide, and I am to direct you and guide you to Jesus Christ and Him alone. So I want to personally invite you, especially if you're new or if you're watching online for the first time, to be a part of our community. And every person, whether they are uh, doing church at home, in a cabin in the mountains, on a beach in Cabo, or in the desert of Arizona, or you may be in the climate-controlled, ionized and sanitized, climate-controlled perfection of our auditorium. We are glad you're here. Now, if uh, you are interested in kind of getting to know who we are, you can text FH Next Step to 97000, and you can start an anonymous journey. I emphasize anonymous uh, to get to know our church better. If you want to explore what it means to know God, you can text that. Very simply, if you want to get baptized and continue your journey with Christ, you can tell every next step is found there. So I encourage you to do it. Now, this weekend is Memorial Day weekend. And on uh, how it got its start is on May 1st in 1865, which is the year that the Civil War ended, was 1865, is that there was a prison camp that had been hastily set up by the Confederates just outside of Charleston, okay? And what happened is a bunch of Union soldiers were sent there, and right before the war um, ended, a bunch of them died over the winter from exposure and disease because very poor conditions. So on May 1st, a thousand freed slaves in the South joined regiments of the U.S. colored troops, and they entered the prison in Charlotte, and they sang hymns, and they put flowers on all the graves of the Union soldiers that had died in the Civil War and in that prison camp in particular. So three years later, uh, General John A. Logan of the Grand Army of the Republic called for a decoration day on May 30th, and that's kind of the beginning of how Memorial Day started. It's not a celebration of war. It's a celebration of those who die in the service of their country. And so that's why people tomorrow will honor those who lost their lives, gave the greatest sacrifice. Now, when I was in college, I went to a university that was really close to a large army base where the Big Red One is stationed. And there would be a lot of uh, military personnel who would serve, and then they would go to college. And so I knew a number of guys that had served for four years, some six. They were on the GI Bill. They were going to college, and I got to know them. And so there was an interesting dynamic between those two groups of people, the 18-year-old college students and those who were freshmen but had served. And some had gone into the military, and they seemed to be more mature, but more than anything else, they seemed to know what they believed. And so in comparison to a lot of the other 18-year-olds who just didn't know what to believe or what they believed and why they believed it. And so they were easily influenced by the culture of university. 
uh, one of my favorite satire shot, uh, sites is called the Babylon Bee, and they sent one. And I wasn't able to find it, show it to you real quick, but it was a picture of a couple sending their student off to university. And it said, couple happy to spend $90,000 to send their student off to university to undermine and ruin everything they've done over the last 18 years of their life. And that is so very true. It seems interesting to me that today people talk about uh, generations like the millennial generation, and people talk about why does this generation struggle so much? And I postulate, well, because they have the highest majority or percentage of people who went to the university. When you go to university, it is not good anymore for people who have convictions. We are in the book of 1 John, and we're studying it because John basically said, this is how you make sense out of your life. And one of his biggest things is that you need to know what the truth is and know why it's true. Now, what's really interesting is 1 John is commonly known uh, for chapter 4. And chapter 4 is the big love chapter. It's like God is love, and He first loved us, and so now we love. And when we love one another, we're... we're, uh, in God. If we hate our brother, we're not in God. So let's love one another. There's a lot of love going on. I mean, there's a love fest in chapter four. It's just a whole lot of loving going on. And people always, pardon the pun, love to preach on love, right? But if you don't know what's in chapter one, two, and three, then you have no idea what real love is in chapter four. And so you got to dig into it and realize, hmm, what's he really talking about? Now, why he does this is because everybody wants to find true love, then why are so few people actually finding it? Everybody wants a lasting love, but why is it so difficult for love to last? Well, the reason why is because what you believe is one of the most important things about you, and that's what he talks about. What you believe is one of the most important things about you. So let's jump into where we left off last week and see how John addresses this issue, beginning in chapter 2 of the first book of John, verse 18. He says, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Now this is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Now, that last verse he's talking about the Gnostics. And if you're listening for the first time, is that the book of John was refuting a group of people that had created a new religion. And what they did is they took an ancient Greek philosophy called Gnosticism and they replaced it with all the Christian terminology, okay? And they, in the process, they took the name Jesus, and then they reinterpreted who he was. So what John is saying is that these are the spirits of the Antichrist. They intentionally went out, said, we're doing something brand new that's better than before, and by this you know they have not adhered to the truth. So John is kind of trying to answer the question of why did they do this? Why, why are they going out from us? And what he's saying is this, is that, look, there's lots of false ideologies out there, and if you don't know what you believe, 
then you are going to be easily influenced by them. And this is important because what you believe drives your mindset, how you think. What you believe forms your attitude about life. What you believe shapes how you face each and every day. Do you get up with a vitality and an enthusiasm or a timidity, a passiveness, or an anxiety? That what you believe determines what gives you hope or ultimately what makes your life senseless. And what, what John is saying is that these guys went out from us, and they're trying to recruit you to follow them. Be careful, because what you believe is what's so very important about you. And if you try to believe that what they're saying is true, and you try to believe what God taught you through Christ is true, and if you try to believe every other philosophy out there is true, you can't believe everything is equally valid. Because if you do, it creates a senseless life. Now let's pick up in verse 20. Look at what he says. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. Oh, so I don't have to believe everything is equally valid. I don't have to believe that everything is the same because I've been given tools to discern right from wrong, good from evil, truth, from falsehood. Where does it come from? It's an anointing from the Holy One, so it comes from God. And this is why we know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know the truth and because no lie comes from it. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So what's going on here is the Gnostics said, hey, we're going to take this Greek philosophy, and guess what we're going to do is we're going to borrow all this verbiage, and we're going to borrow Jesus, and we're going to just put it into our system and create a new religion. Now, we're not familiar with it because it died out pretty quick, and that's one way to know whether it's true or not, because it died out. Now, I dug into that last week, if you would like to kind of figure out why that's a proof for the authenticity of Christianity. But the Gnostics denied Jesus. You see, what the Gnostics believed is that there was this unknowable, pure God up there, and because we live in an evil universe, that God couldn't create evil, and so He created all of these offspring you know, they're called archons, and you kind of work your way down the ladder until a real imperfect one created the imperfect world, right? And Jesus was a part of creation. So they denied Jesus. They denied He claimed who He was. Jesus claimed, I am God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father is in me, and I am in the Father, and we are one. So, oh, okay, well, they denied that. They denied the importance of a sacrifice. Well, bad for Him, He died, but it had really nothing to do with who you are. They denied his bodily resurrection. They denied he could redeem you. They denied that he could bring your soul back to life from death. They, decide, they denied that he was the Messiah. And John is saying is that you can't believe that and believe this. You've been given the tools to discern the difference between the two. Now, how that applies for us today is that we live in a world that talks about that there are many ways to get to heaven or many ways to get to God. 
And John is saying, if you believe that, then what you're actually doing is you're denying Jesus. Because Jesus said very specifically, you can't get to God except through me because I came to give my life as a ransom for you. And John's saying this belief is critical. You know, you have to understand who the authentic Jesus is. What did he actually say about himself? And that's tough in our society today because there's so many competing thoughts and ideas about who is Jesus. First of all, you have the atheistic position. The atheistic position says that, well, Jesus was a deluded individual, okay? Because there is nothing beyond this life. There is no afterlife, and there is no uh, free will. You live in a deterministic reality. Scientific materialism teaches this. It's common. I've talked about it in the past. But bottom line is, is that Jesus what he said was irrelevant. What he did was irrelevant. He never healed anybody, and he, he didn't die for anybody's sins, and that's that. So that's their position. Now, there is an Islamic position on uh, who Jesus is. Now, uh, this is going to be really weird for you because it's not very often that you hear the Quran read in church. But uh, yes, this is my Quran. I, I bought it off Amazon. I got it cheap, though just saying. And they have, the Quran teaches very specific things about Jesus. First and foremost, the Quran says in Surah 4, verse 157, it says this, that they said in a boast, we killed Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, the messenger of Allah, but they did not kill him. They did not crucify him. It was made only to appear that way. So the, the Islam denies that Jesus died on the cross. The second thing they write is this, Christ, the son of Mary, was no more a messenger as were any of the other messengers that passed away before him. They had to eat their daily food, say, we will, will ye worship beside Allah something which has no power either to harm or benefit you? So they deny the deity of Christ, and they deny that he was anything special, okay? And then finally, it says in Surah 9, beginning with verse 29, it says, fight those who believe not in Allah nor the last day, nor hold that forbidden which hath been forbidden by, forbidden by Allah and his prophet, or acknowledges the truth of religion. These are the people of the book meaning Christians and Jews, until they pay the jizya with willing submission and feel subdued themselves. So he's saying, fight them until you subdue them. And then the next verse, the Jews call Uzziah a son of God, and the Christians call Christ the son of God. This is a saying from their mouths, but it imitates what unbelievers of old used to say, Allah's curse be upon them. There is no God but Allah. So the Islamic position is that Jesus was not sinless. Jesus was not pure. Jesus did not die on the cross. Jesus did not, did not die for your sins. Jesus um, did not rise from the dead. In the Eastern, the Hindu and the Buddhist positions, which there's you know, a huge chunk, people in India and people in, in China, 
are Buddhist and Hindu, and they're very similar. Uh, their position is that Christ was a nobody, you know, basically, uh, because there is no personal God. There's no way to know God personally. You can't, and you live in a closed system that's infinite. It's constantly oscillating, and it's difficult to go into it because it's so complex. It's so complex. But I'd like you to know this. Hinduism is the closest belief system today that mirrors Gnosticism. It's really fascinating. Then there's what I call American spiritualism. Now, American spiritualism is this, is that uh, most Americans are spiritualists. Um, They say that they're Christians, but they're not. I know it's controversial to say that. But uh, they say that they're Christians when they're not. They're American spiritualists. This is American spiritualism, okay? I was on social media, and there was this gal and she was smoking some weed, you know, or what do they call it now? 420? The Doobie? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, the Doobie brothers were popular when I was a kid. You know, uh, boy, does that date me or what, you know? But uh, they, they, got a, they got a 420, you know, I, I don't even know what this, anyway, this gal was smoking marijuana, right? And this is what she did. She goes, I'm smoking marijuana. Because my Jesus wants me to be happy. That's American spiritualism. Right there, in a nutshell. Jesus has one job, my friend. One job only. You know what that job is? Make you happy. And it takes a little marijuana to help out. Praise God. That, that's just pure silliness. Now, I just explained to you four main ideas about Jesus. Are any of those ideas or principles or concepts about Jesus the same? No. They are radically different. Now, why is that important to know? Because if you try to believe that they are all the same, that they are all equally valid, then you will create senselessness in your own life. Because when you believe things that are contradictory, even when you want to believe them, you'll create senselessness. You know this is true, ladies. You know this is true. You date a guy, right? And he seems perfect on the outside. And so there's a red flag. And what do you say? That's not a red flag. No red flag. What do all your friends do? Scream at you, red flag, red flag, red flag. They pull their hair out. You go, no, it's not. It's not really, you know, because you don't know him like I do. <laughs> right? And then what happens? You have to go to coffee with your friends. And their friends who love you to death sit there. They give you no compassion. They sit there and tap their foot and go, told you so, told you so, told you so. Because all the red flags become what? true. Guys, you know this is true because you see that car. Mm-hmm. It's classic, man. Oh, you dreamed of that convertible. And it's like, it's the perfect color and it's great, got great tires on it. And so you bring it home and your wife goes, what's that clunky no- noise? Oh, that's normal for that year of car. Six months later and $30,000, you're like, maybe not such a great decision. 
I'm, I'm trying to just drive home the point, and that is, is that when we believe, when we choose emotionally to believe something is true, we deny the facts that are right in front of our face. And what does that always do? It always hurts us. It creates senselessness in our lives. Listen to what John says next in verse 24. He really gets into the, the nitty-gritty here. He goes, as for you, see what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. Don't fall for these false ideologies. Don't fall for contradictory beliefs. Don't fall for these things. If it does, you will also remain. He says, if, he says, what for beginning remains in you? Because if it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. This is how you stay. This is how you stay committed. He says, this is what he promised us, eternal life. Now, that promise is amazing. The promise of eternal life is a promise of a meaningful life, not a senseless life. You see, when you have eternal life, then what that means is you're not a victim of fate right now. You see, you're not a victim of fate. It says you have free will. The atheist position, the Hindu position says it doesn't matter. In Hinduism, you're locked into karma and fate. Atheists say, well, your decisions are all determined for you. The illusion that there's a you that's you that makes free will choices doesn't exist. It's just an illusion. And what, what's happening is when you have a promise of eternal life, it says that your free will is operable. You are not a victim of fate. You, your choices matter. Your choices are able to be made and make a difference. And when your choices matter, that means they're meaningful. And that means your life can have purpose because you can change the outcome. That is a powerful promise. And John is saying the promise of eternal life has more ramifications on you than you could ever imagine. But in our culture, there's this constant vibe. There's a culture out there that seems to lead you astray. Our society is designed to separate you from the one thing that will bring meaning and purpose in your life, the promise of eternal life. Some of these things are so silly and they're easy to see through. I remember one just a little bit ago. Um, there was this a product that was called Sensa. And it was kind of like salt, but it was a little thicker. And what it was is they said, look, if you sprinkle this on your food and then you eat, it blocks your body from absorbing the calories in the food. So you lose weight. Man, I'm putting on donuts, <laughs> barbecue, you know, baked potato, what do you want on it? Everything. And a little sensa. Right? Uh, that's a lie. Did it work? How about this? Um, uh, Luminosity, you guys have the app on your phone, Luminosity. It's not as popular as it was about three or four years ago, but it's brain teasers and all this kind of stuff. Well, they claim that it actually stopped Alzheimer's. It doesn't. Gerber baby food, they had this thing about 10 years ago, 15 years ago. That they, maybe it was longer, maybe it was 20 years ago. Uh, they said our, our smart start Food program, if you put your baby on it, your baby won't develop allergies. I think it cost them $20 million to get out of that one because it was false. Do you know that Marlboro cigarettes used to advertise that if you smoke their cigarettes, it would stop your cough? <laughs> Sometimes silly appeals are easy to 
uh, see right through. But then there's ones that are a little tempting, right? Let's say you're a new mom and you've got three little ones at home. You're, you know, COVID hits, you're trying to work at home. You're trying to manage your kids. You're trying to do all this. And someone says, man, if you had no responsibility, you'd be living a stress-free life. Oh, that sounds so attractive right now, right? Or guys, you know, you got so many things going on. You're trying to manage your job. You're trying to manage your marriage. You're trying to manage, you know, the business. You're trying to manage your kids and your teenagers and the vehicles and the insurance and all, I mean, the housework and all the stuff going on, you know, all the mowing and trimming and digging. And you got all this stuff going, man, if I had no responsibilities, I just want to sell it all. I'd live a stress-free life. And on the surface, that's really attractive. But is it true? Or how about this one? Um, uh, sometimes ladies get into this. You know, ladies, if your heart's been broken, you kind of say to yourself, well, I'll just never get married again. I, I just won't date anybody because I'll be happy then. My heart won't get hurt or broken. I, I know a lot of guys who uh, they make a mistake or they try something, you know, and it doesn't work out. They try a job. And so they say, well, you know, if I make no commitments, I can't fail. That's attractive on the surface. Just don't make any commitments and then you can't, no one can yell at you because you can't fail. Okay, that's attractive, but is it true? Here's one that gets a little deeper. If we quit making truth claims, we would end the division in America. You know, if you would quit saying that Jesus is the only way to God, then we, we would be so, we'd all get along. Is that true? Or this, if we affirm every choice in society is equally valid, we'll be a better America. It's tempting, but is it true? You see, if we believe things that are contradictory or we believe things that are false, no matter how much we want them to be true, our lives become senseless. Look at what he says in verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. I want you to look at verse 28 and notice, we will be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. There is the key of why we pursue truth, because it builds confidence and it makes you courageous. The opposite not the opposite, but the, the word from saying I am unashamed means I am courageous. When someone says, hey, are you that way? I am unashamed of it. I am courageously committed to it. We live in a world where human beings, when they are timid, they're timid and they're passive, that breeds weakness. When you believe falsehood, that breeds insecurity. But right here he's saying, when you stick to the truth, this will develop confidence and courage in your life. So this is where we're at. I think we're at a point where I encourage you to consider a choice that you must make. Now, if I did my job properly, I laid out what John is teaching, and I did it honestly. If I, I honestly represented the views of other uh, belief systems, 
Now it's your turn to do some work. You need to make a choice. And when you strip it all down, I think the choice that John is asking you and me to consider is this. Do I want to live my life as a strong person or do I want to live my life as a weak person? And it all comes down to whether I know what I believe and why I believe it. Do I want to be strong or I want to be weak? Ladies, this world is filled with weak women. You don't have to be one of them. Weak women are perpetually unhappy. They constantly focus on what they don't have. They enhance how they are a victim of circumstance in any and every situation because they're experts at comparing themselves to everyone else. And when they compare themselves, they see how they are not that. They don't measure up to that. And so life is so unfair to them. Weak women think the people around them, their husbands, their boyfriends, their children are deficient. If they would just change, grow up, mature, be different, or get with their program, then they would be happy. This weak belief system creates senselessness in your life. It robs you of the beauty of each moment, the joy of living every experience to its fullest, the vibrancy that you gain from every relationship, even the ones that are difficult. Strong women know who they are. They are constantly affirming their own value from Jesus Christ and Christ alone. There's no position, no amount of money, no amount of friends or relationships, uh, the size of their waistline or the color of their hair that is going to affirm their value. Some of those things may be preferable, but that's not where their value comes from because they know more than anything else that they are loved by God, adopted by God, redeemed by God, and they are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Their strength is in their character. Their strength is in their maturity. Their strength is in their honor and their virtue. Strong women, they don't manipulate, whine, or nag to get what they want. They pray, they seek counsel, and they are assertive. That's right, they're assertive. That means they know how to politely ask for what they need or want from their husbands, their boyfriends, their children. And then they're not angry, offended, or hurt when they don't get it. They give grace and patiently wait for the men in their lives to mature because Christ is the only one who can change people. Weak women believe really sing, silly things like, you know, if he loved me, he would know what I want without needing to ask. You know, that's not like going out to eat and expecting the waiter to know what you want for dinner. And then you get mad because he brings you pasta and you're gluten intolerant. <laughs> Guys, the world is filled with weak men and you don't have to be one of them. 
Weak men, they don't discipline their behavior. They don't control what comes out of their mouth when they're mad. They don't discipline how they treat other people. Their hurts and their offenses are the number one thing in their world of reality. Weak men believe that life has cheated them, kicked them aside, abused them, and is unfair. The problem is, is that your analysis is correct, but weakness and passivity is not how you deal with it. That's like standing out in a rainstorm being mad that you're getting wet. Of course the world's unfair. Of course the world is filled with evil. It's a mess out there. That's why weak men can't navigate it and are kicked around by it. Strong men are different. Weak men are afraid of their wives. They're annoyed with their wives. They blame their wives for their emotional state. Man, when I'm around her, I'm just mad all the time. She, she just knows how to push my buttons. They're your buttons! <laughs> if you're listening online, guys, I want to ask you a question. Do you spend more time drinking, smoking dope, gambling, playing video games to distract yourself from your own senselessness in life? Then that might be a sign that you're struggling with being a weak, passive man. Strong men aren't perfect. They don't try to be. Strong men aren't arrogant, thinking they've got it all figured out. What they do is they keep growing and they do the work to be a better man. Strong men take responsibility. Strong men say, I'm going to evaluate how this situation did not turn out in the best way possible, and I'm going to do everything I can to change the outcome and win the game. You know it's this way in football. You know it's this way in basketball and baseball, lacrosse. It's even this way in curling, for crying out loud. Why is it any different in your marriage? Why is it any different in your dating life? Why is it any different in your parenting? Why is it any different with your church community or your state uh, or your federal government or the country you live in, why would it be any different? Strong men take responsibility to do what they can to change the outcome of the environment that they are in. And they're not afraid when they're whitewater rafting of getting wet. They expect it to happen and they push forward with courage and confidence. Strong men make commitments. They keep their commitments because they know Men don't do good when they don't make commitments and keep them. Guys, John would say that the world is filled with weak men. Ladies, the world is filled with weak women because they believe things that contradict. They believe things that are senseless at their core John would say, you don't have to be weak. You can be strong by not listening to the false ideologies and trying to believe that they're all equally valid, not believing things that are contradictory, and then not believing things and acting differently. You can be strong. You have the tools to know the difference because you have an anointing from the Holy One. Otherwise, we will not be a people any longer that celebrate and honor the sacrifice of those who gave their lives for their country. 
because people won't know what to believe anymore. So when we study John and we apply it to our lives, he is calling you and me to be the city set on a hill, the light that is lit in the darkness, the courageous and unashamed voice of Jesus Christ to a lost, blind, and dark world. Let our day of decoration be the day when Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.